check out this comment left on a fan website. Here it is. When I woke up this morning after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It was like my whole life, everything I've done and worked for, lost its meaning. Lost its meaning after watching this movie? That's what's going on here? Call in. want to hear from you. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today in stunningly immersive 3D is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Dolby. Surround sound. <laughs> the audience is listening. You're amazingly lifelike, I have I to mean, say. I you know, it's, it's a lot of CGI, uh, stop motion, you know. Worth every penny. Thank you. On today's episode, we're going to sit down for Nakia's first viewing of James Cameron's 2009 blockbuster, Avatar. Which everyone hates, so I don't know why I have to watch it. <sighs> you really want to get into that already? No, we can get into it later, but we're going to get into it. All right, we will get to that a little later. <laughs> but first, we are recording this on the morning after the 90th annual Academy Awards ceremony. So we thought we would talk a little bit about the Oscars. Nakia, what was your impression of the Oscars? I mean, you know, I pretty much only go in for the red carpet. That's the sort of bulk of my interest. And then if there are uh, nominees from underrepresented communities, then I root for those folks. But otherwise, I don't care really about that. As Issa Rae said, you're rooting right. for everybody I'm rooting black. For everybody, but it's also, I'm rooting for everybody LGBTQ. I'm rooting for right. everybody Latino. I'm, you know, so when those moments happen, I engage. Otherwise, it's just kind of... I always do a big build-up to the Oscars. I scramble the weeks before the Oscars trying to see every nominee that I can possibly see. I write my big, long Oscar picks and predictions post. Mm -hmm. And then the show comes around, and it's boring and <laughs> underwhelming and anticlimactic. I, I honestly don't know why I bother at all. <laughs> I mean, I think it's good in that, and and I think you mentioned this in the write-up you did for your blog, your Oscar predictions, you said that, you know, the, the sort of deadline of the Oscars is a good right sort of um, incentive to go out and see these films, and oftentimes you end up seeing films that you really love, and sometimes the films aren't so great, but... That's particularly true with, like, the things that I would, you know, with the best of intentions intend to see but probably not get around right, to the foreign films stuff and like the foreign films and the documentaries the and even some of the dramas mm -hmm. that are just like you know wow that looks really good but i'm really not in the mood for that right so without that arbitrary deadline of the oscars to make me go see those i probably would miss a lot of them right all right well let's let's talk about the really important aspect of the oscars the red carpet that's your <laughs> that's really all you care about I mean, and that this red carpet was probably the worst red carpet I've it was seen not great in a while, and that's not even talking about the actual um, garments that walked the red carpet. Um, it was the coverage of the red carpet was just really lackluster and disappointing. For many years, E! has had pretty much lock on red carpet coverage. It's where you go if you want to see, you know, you get the full shots of the dresses. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get, you know, 3D glam bot 
photos. And well, they start and, literally five right, hours before the talking actual about ceremony about fashion is. and talking about, the, you know, what's going to be happening on the red carpet. And they've even gone so far as to, you know, do ridiculous things. Like they had Manny cams. Like it was just, <laughs> yes. and thankfully the we've done away. Cams right, with and those. the petty cams and but, the... It was where Rectal you cams. Right, it was where you went if you wanted to know who was wearing what to the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And I know we went a few years ago we went through this whole, you know, ask me more campaign where it was about asking women more than just what are what am I wearing? Right. Cuz for years that's all right, they that's would all ask, they really them. ask them. Which I respect. But in the same token, I'm also very much a lover of fashion. Mm -hmm. And I also think that a lot of people put a lot of time and money and effort to get you looking how you look in front of that camera to talk about your awesome project. So the very least you can do is just sort of recognize and acknowledge the people that helped you you get your glow on. But you're right. It it has been getting awkward the last few years. Where we can't decide what we want to ask people on the red carpet. Right. As more and more political stuff has come out, then how to handle that on right. the red carpet. Like, last night felt like like a culmination of that. Mm-hmm. Where it was just like, nobody really wants to be on the red carpet. Yeah. Like, it's just not, yeah. it's not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Fewer and fewer celebrities are bothering to stop and talk to the interviewers on the red carpet. Right. It makes me wonder if the whole thing is just going to die out at some point. Right. Again, I would hope not because, again, I'm just a fan of that. I like the glam. And I think that's also just part of Hollywood. Hollywood is very much also about this glamour piece. Like, yes, it's about mm-hmm. the work and the, the sort of amazing performances these people are are putting forth and the, the work of everybody that's behind the camera. But it's also shiny, glittery things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> so the, like let's just acknowledge that that it is a part of it and that that's okay. And it doesn't have to be this frivolous, silly thing. For example, the Golden Globes, when the Time's Up movement had its sort of red carpet debut, and so right. the edict went out that, you know, folks that were in support of it were going to wear black. Right. And some actors and actresses also were accompanied by um, activists who were involved in sort of... Yeah, which was really nice. Um, I didn't realize that that was going to be the only time that happened. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's it. Right. So, I mean, there's no reason why they would need to wear black to every red carpet. It's. I think it was a powerful moment and a great sort of opening statement for the campaign, a, a visual. But ideally, the campaign is not on the red carpet. It's about, right. you know, the legal fund that they've established. It's about, you know, the work of these various organizations that are working to support sort of fair, safe, and equitable spaces for women across, you know, all uh, sectors. So I I wasn't expecting it to be like, okay, well, now every red carpet, we're all going to be in black. You know, ideally, we're still talking about it. It's still, we keep it at the the forefront of conversation, but I don't think that you have to have this sort of performance on the red carpet. So having said all that, the Oscars red carpet, I think, was pretty low-key. It wasn't... There weren't really any sort of big, dramatic dress moments. Right. Um, there weren't any disasters. Nobody looked, you know... There, there were some fugly dresses, I, but... I don't even think there were any fugly dresses. Like, I don't think anybody really took any risks um, with what they were well, wearing. Well, no. There was no, you know, Bjork showing up in right, a, which with a I dead swan draped around her <laughs> And there has been talk of, like, what has happened since stylists have taken over the red carpet is that you're missing the sort of personality that used to be on red carpet. You carpets. get this kind of lowest common right. denominator. Um, but this Oscars red carpet in particular was, was pretty quiet. There weren't very many, if any, big moments in terms of the gowns. So with E, I don't know, I won't say that everyone knows because a lot of people probably don't pay attention to this, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
there was a lot of controversy with having Ryan Seacrest right. host the red carpet, which he does for the Oscars every year. And it was stemming from allegations of uh, sexual misconduct on his part towards his uh, former stylist, right. who was no longer, who was fired, I believe. So there was a lot of sort of back and forth of like, should Ryan Seacrest be on the red carpet, given that, given that we're in mm-hmm. this sort of Me Too moment and Time's Up moment? There was all the speculation about whether anyone right. would actually would it, talk, would talk to, to him. him on the red carpet. And E pretty much doubled down and just said, no, Ryan is staying on the red carpet. And we're going to do a 30-second delay just in case somebody decides, <laughs> decides to call, to him, call him out, um, which television. is, you know, a cowardly dick move. Like, right. if you're going to have the boss to put him on the red carpet, then you're going to have to take your lumps. Yeah. Um, but they probably learned their lesson coming out of the Golden Globes when people were critical of their treatment of Kat Sadler and the gender equity, the pay disparity that was happening amongst their hosts. So where E used to be, you know, the perfect place to come to get the parade of dresses and, and, and the, you know, the lowdown on the fashion and everything, because everybody pretty much stopped with Ryan. Right. This year, Ryan was on the carpet by himself for a while. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was, it was getting to the point where it was like, is anybody going to stop and talk to Ryan? And so it's like, it's difficult to kind of think about the thinking within the E! Network because it's like, why would you sacrifice what is one of the biggest nights for your network just to stand behind? Yeah, this and this is where I'm out of touch because I, like, I can't believe Ryan Seacrest is that important. To me, Ryan Seacrest right. is a joke. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think of him, that he does anything that a thousand other people couldn't do just as well. Mm-hmm. But apparently he's important enough to their brand yeah. that they... He's very important to the E! brand. He He's also just a part of the ABC network family. He mm-hmm. and uh, Kelly Ripa host that morning show together. So, I mean, he is very much um, a person of standing within Hollywood. And he's also just known to have really good relationships with all the stars and things like that. So I understand why it would be a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, given the sort of political moment we're in they maybe should have just taken that one on the chin and just put Juliana on the carpet and have her do it so then at least it wasn't this sort of awkward standing around and and everybody knowing that Ryan is almost persona non grata on on the red carpet but at the same time and it and it's and I don't I don't think it's just that he didn't show this it doesn't seem like there were any confrontations or any awkwardness on the carpet either and again this is something we'll we'll come back to but it's like, at this point, I think John Oliver is still the only person in Hollywood who has actually confronted mm-hmm. someone to their face mm-hmm. about this stuff mm-hmm. in an interview with Dustin Hoffman a few months ago. And he got flack for it. You know, you're here to host this event and you're calling Dustin Hoffman out on right. these sexual harassment allegations. Nobody's Nobody else seems willing to do that. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen anywhere in the ceremony last night, which is something I want to talk about. But again, let's come back to the dresses. Sorry. I, I okay. want to hear your... <laughs> Let's, you know, let's be shallow. It's not shallow. It's fashion. Fashion is important. But let's hear your your who's hot, who's not list for the evening. That's again, I don't really have a not list. Um, again, I don't think that there were really any disasters. I think it was very tasteful red carpet. There were a few people that I really loved. And this has just been a trend for the year. And I know people are probably tired of me talking about Black Panther. But when I tell you that all of the stars of Black Panther... (laughs) They have been rocking every fucking red carpet they've been on. Destroyed. Like, you just... Even if they're not in your film, you should invite them to the premiere (laughs) so that they can put on beautiful clothes and just light up your life. Because they have been beautiful for the whole sort of promotional tour of this um, No, they have been slaying everyone else. Ridiculous. 
and it happened again last night. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, I perked up when I saw Lupita and Denai on the mm-hmm. red carpet. And Lupita was in this gorgeous sort of gold one-shoulder chainmail dress from Versace. And as always, her hair was in this amazingly architectural, intricate design. And she looked stunning. And then she put on glasses on stage and it was just, <laughs> it warmed my little four-eyed heart. Yeah. And I was very happy. And Denai had on this really just beautiful and ladylike sort of blush column gown from Gabriella Hurst and this diamond choker. And she had this beautiful like sort of almost, um, I don't know if it was like paint or what it was, but they, it was a design yeah, she in, had her like a hair, symbol right, on in her, her hair. Because, you know, she has a shaved head. So it was just, this, it was really super modern, but also like very sort of diamonds are girl's best friend kind of look. Yeah, it, it had that, that old Hollywood glamour it to it. It was stunning. She looked amazing in it. Chadwick had on a beautiful embroidered uh, suit from Givenchy. Yeah, the long jacket. It was gorgeous. He's been killing it in terms of... This is my thing about yeah. the black actors is that the white men need to look at what the black <laughs> men are doing and realize that you can actually dress in a more interesting way <laughs> than Black Armani talks. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. there are some white actors who take some interesting, make some interesting choices on the red carpet. What's his name? Um, good time. What? Robert Pattinson? Yes, Robert Pattinson is actually pretty good on the red mm-hmm. carpet. It's not loud, really, in, in a way that sometimes we've seen Chadwick, but it's very just... Um, he makes. He just makes uh, some really cool choices. I feel. Like, I feel like when the white actors try to do that, it usually goes wrong. No! Like uh, Jared Leto. Well, Jared Leto became terrible. like a Gucci clown. It was like he just wore <laughs> everything that Gucci, Gucci sent down the runway at once, and it just started to look a little ridiculous. Like if he would pick a couple pieces from Gucci and put them on, it's because like, Gucci's a lot. So then when you have on twelve Gucci pieces, you look a little ridiculous. What's the Coco Chanel thing? We right. look in the mirror <laughs> right. and you take, take off. One, Leto just needed to take off like eight things and then he would be fine but he yes so that is a white man who is actually very adventurous with his style um he's just it's a lot of look so yeah lupita deny chadwick um daniel kalua great jacket great jacket this sort of Uh, gold mustard mustard, velvet uh blazer he looked beautiful and uh, Winston Duke was also there, and he looked amazing. And he basically walked the red carpet with Lupita and Denai. So, I mean, yeah, you're going to look amazing if you have Lupita <laughs> and Denai on your side. You can basically be wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and everybody would be like, you look amazing. So, yeah, I mean, the Black Panther crew just wrecked it, and it was amazing, and they're wonderful. Um, and I'm going to be sad when they're not going to be on the red carpet anymore. Well, you should have another full year to look, to look forward to that, though. You think I- so? Well, I mean, hopefully next year is award ceremonies. They're at that's least going to be there, even if the true. film isn't nominated. Okay. But, okay. So you got a whole other cycle. Well, that makes me happy then. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Who else? Viola Davis looked gorgeous mm-hmm. in that sort of hot pink Michael Kors gown. And again, hair, flamazing. Um, Gal. Is it Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot in the Givenchy sort of sequence. Yeah. Shimmy gown. Yeah, she I was noticed. stunning. Yeah, I know you noticed. <laughs> I noticed you noticing. It had a beautiful necklace, pendant necklace, which accented the, the sort of neckline of the gown perfectly. She's a, she's a stunning woman. It's sort of ridiculous. Um, All right, well, let's. So there has to be some you didn't like. 
let's see. I mean, Emma Stone wore the Louis Vuitton. Um, it was a sort of almost rust-colored blazer with the, the pink sash at the waist and then the black sort of cigarette pants. Yeah, I didn't like the pink sash. I mean, I get the sort of color blocking of it, um, but yeah, that sort of middle section of the blazer, something was sort of unresolved about it for me. It wasn't my favorite thing, but I do love pants on the red carpet. I love a pant on the red carpet, so that I didn't mind. Like, I was actually glad that she rocked a cool pant. Um, uh, who else? Oh, um, what is her name? Emily Blunt? Yeah. Uh, Emily Blunt in the Chaparelli dress with the sort of shoulder, the tool shoulder treatment. I just wasn't a fan of it. I hated it. I didn't hate it. I hated it. I thought she, <laughs> she looked like the plastic figurine on top of Miss Havisham's uneaten wedding cake. <laughs> it was that bad i thought it was I just, really bad I, it was the shoulder tree i just wasn't a fan of that and i think it's just going to be you're either going to like that or you're not <laughs> okay well let's talk about the actual show and the actual awards a little bit okay there were not a lot of surprises it was pretty much the same people won that have been winning at every award show so far mm-hmm. there were a couple of pleasant surprises for me i think jordan peele winning original screenplay for get out I would have loved to have seen the movie win Best Picture. I would have liked to see Daniel Kaluuya win Best Actor. But at least it didn't go home completely empty-handed. Right, yeah. Guillermo won for Best Director and Best Picture for Shape of Water. Yeah, which I'm treating as a Lifetime Achievement Award because I I didn't love... I mean, I liked The Shape of Water, but I didn't love it as much as everyone else did. Right. Um, So to me, that's like back pay for Pan's Labyrinth. Mm Mm-hmm. Foreign language for a fantastic woman, which yeah, which again is not a movie I didn't like quite as much as everyone else did. Although mm-hmm. I liked it and I thought Daniela Vega was amazing. She got to present last night, which was the first openly trans <laughs> woman to present at the Oscars. Right. I was a little bummed that Rachel Morrison lost for cinematography, but I know yeah. that the Roger Deakins win is a huge. That's the. Deal. I mean, Roger Deakins is now one for fourteen. That was his fourteenth nomination is without a win. Susan Lucci of cinematography. It was. It was nice to see Roger Deakins finally win. His first nomination was for the Shawshank Redemption, so that tells you how far back that goes. Wow. Yeah. Dufresne. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about uh, the big speech of the evening was Frances McDormand, mm-hmm. which she ended up with this big call for diversity and this suggestion that... Inclusion writer. That people have inclusion riders on their contracts, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know, what that means is that A-list stars should start insisting in their contracts that there's a certain level of diversity... Both in front of and behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is great. We're all for that. However. I mean, I just, and again, I don't want to get into uh, women being accountable for their male partners. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the fact that, you know, Joel Cohen is her husband and he is not, he and his brother have not been the best sort of representatives of diversity and inclusion in their films rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because I think and I think we've talked about this in uh, a previous podcast and I actually went back and looked it up to make sure that I was remembering the quote correctly but he was Joel and Ethan were being interviewed around the release of Hail Caesar and of course people were talking about you know the fact that it's a pretty much white cast right. this this was the year of the hashtag Oscars so white, white controversy um, April Rain's uh, Twitter campaign that just sort of blew up and did amazingly so You know, Joel said, it's an absolute absurd misunderstanding of how things get made to single out any particular story and say, why aren't there this, that, or the other thing? It's a misunderstanding of how stories are written. 
You don't sit down and write a story and say, I'm going to write a story that involves four black people, three Jews, and a dog, right? Right. If you don't understand that, you don't understand anything about how stories get written, and you don't realize that the question you're asking is idiotic. So... Yeah, it was not... <laughs> and, I mean, here's the thing. I understand the point they were trying sure. to make. They were speaking out sort of against this kind of tokenism. Right. But that's not how you need to approach the question. Right. And you, at this point in your careers, have made, like, 20 movies... Mm-hmm. That are ninety eight percent white. Right. Um, you have the power to control this. You have the power to control what kind of stories you're telling, and just the tone of it was just so dismissive exactly. and condescending. Right. They were like, "That's an idiotic question. Right. Like, how dare you even ask us that?" Right. Well, and one of the the sort of thoughts behind the uh, inclusion writer idea that I like is, you know, if you think about films, there are eighty or ninety people or whatever on set. Mm-hmm. Of those, maybe 10 or 15, if that, have actual speaking roles that play a major role in the plot movement. Right. If you can get those other 70 or however many people to reflect <laughs> the actual world, right. that's actually a step in the right direction. And it's not really changing whatever story it is that you want to tell. Right. If your film is based in L.A. and there are only white people, like, I just don't understand. This is the thing. <laughs> and this is the thing. And this is what I'm so sick of is, like, these creators that, are, that treat diversity... Like, it's a bone thrown. Right. You know, it is this kind of tokenism. It, yeah. And that's not the point. The point is that the world is diverse. Right. And if you're, mo- if you're setting a movie in L.A. and New York and everybody in the movie is white, you did it wrong. Right. You just fucking wrote the script wrong and you shot the movie wrong because it does not reflect the actual world. Right. And it's just lazy. And that's and again, it's also both in front of the camera and behind the camera. Going back to April Rain, I believe she just started this sort of database of folks of color and other underrepresented communities that are involved in, you know, the creative arts both in front of and behind the camera, writers and everything, so that, you know, this excuse of like, well, I just don't know where these people are. It's like, well, okay, here's a database right. of all these people. <laughs> and you know, it goes back to what's his name? Uh Romney's folder of women. Or whatever. So yes, like, right. Like, no, we hear their contact info. You cannot no longer use this excuse of just we just can't find you know women cinematog- mm-hmm. cinematographers, or we can't find you know a person of color. Who was it? There was someone just recently asked about this who responded like, "Well, I don't know any black people." Is, is that? Oh God! Or was it a politician? No, that was <laughs> that's. <laughs> That was the uh, Illinois gubernatorial. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what it was. <laughs> Which is also a fucking disaster. But kind of the same problem. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> never. That's never your answer. That should never be your answer. Right. right. So there's just. I think we're at a point where there really whatever excuses we have used in the past for films that don't sort of reflect the world within which we live it's just right and that's my thing with the coen brothers right. is that, i mean i love the coen brothers right. movies uh but they got a pass on this for way too long yeah. and it time's up right <laughs> that's it you don't get a pass on that anymore well and actually um in one of the montages they they uh showed during the the airing uh i believe it was kumail said something about you know I've been watching films by white directors starring white people for my entire life. Why is it so hard (laughs) for you to watch a film that is about, you know, Muslims or about black people, you know? So, and I think that is where it's just like, and they've been great. It's not that I don't, again, I also am a fan of the Coen brothers and I'm a fan of a lot of people's work. But at the same time, it's a little discouraging when that's the only narrative that's being sort of celebrated and promoted. So I I think that's really what it is. It's just... 
So again, coming back to Francis McDormand is like great. That's an excellent I hope idea. Whoever we, stars in your husband's next film, we hope your husband film. and your brother-in-law <laughs> yes. has take, an inclusion writer. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, while we're bitching about stuff, do we want to talk about the fact that time's up, but not for Gary Oldman right. or Kobe Bryant? Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, it was a weird ceremony because. And I guess, I mean, this is how progress happens, right? It doesn't happen just in a direct straight line. There are steps forward and steps back. But, you know, you would have these montages that was all about Time's Up and Me Too and inclusivity. And you had, so you had that moment with Ashley Judd, Annabella Sciorra, and Salma Hayek sort mm-hmm. of de- declaring, you know, a new path forward. And, and, you know, talking about, you know, where Hollywood goes sort of in this post-Weinstein world. Right. But at the same time. Right. We're awarding Gary Oldman, who has been accused by his ex-wife of physical abuse. Yeah. And Kobe Bryant, who was accused back in 2003 of the rape of a 19-year-old girl. Right. So it's definitely the sort of tension happening. And Gary Oldman got a standing ovation when Gary he Oldman won. Gary Oldman got a standing ovation. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, I mean, it's there's a, just a little hypocrisy, or if nothing else, just like fucking short attention span. Right. Like just five minutes ago, we were talking right. about this. And now you're celebrating. Yeah, so there's still some work to right. be done. I mean, there's, I, yeah, I and it's. Uh, I think it was Twitter that aired a commercial during the um, during the show that was about this sort of hashtag here we are, and it was all about you know women uh, making their voices heard and their presence known. But at the same time, Twitter is a space where women are subject to pretty virulent harassment mm-hmm. and threats. Rape and, threats. And- right. And, and, you know, trolls. And Twitter has not historically been particularly helpful in that arena right. in sort of tamping that sort of thing down. So it's just, it, it, there definitely is this sort of mixed message. Um, but I guess a couple of years ago, we wouldn't even be having this conversation that's true. now. So. Well, that, a couple of years ago, we were talking about Oscar So White. So right. now we're done with that. No, no, we're done with that. That's, <laughs> that that problem is solved. We've moved now on. Now we're talking about because there were like, you know, five black people <laughs> on stage last night. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was. It's the Oscars. It's it's also a question of like, what, what do we expect the Oscars to be really? Right. I I mean, my takeaway, my biggest takeaway was that Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph should be hosting. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. I'm done with Jimmy Kim. I'm <laughs> done with all the Jimmys. I'm done with what's his name, Corden. Well, that's, you know, we've been having this Time's Up, Me Too conversation throughout the entire awards season about treatment of women and gender equity and we have had this constant parade of straight white male Mm -hmm. hosts trying to talk about all of this stuff. Okay, well, we're done with award shows for another year, thank God. Yay! Any final thoughts? Bearing in mind this is your last chance to stall before we go into the movie discussion. You Jake Sully? We'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. Out there beyond that fence, we have an indigenous population called the Nabi. Now they're threatening our whole operation, and you're supposed to be finding a solution. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA, mixed with DNA of the natives. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. You should not be here. 
need your help. Outstanding. You have a strong heart. No fear. Haven't gotten lost in the woods, have you? Do you forget what team you're playing for? You knew this would happen? Everything changed. Quaritch is rolling and there's no stopping him. We're going up against gunships. I guess we better stop him. Okay, well, let's uh, segue right into talking about Avatar. Are you making a face? I am making a face. It is a face of disgust. (laughs) So, this is not a film for which I have any particular love. Let's be clear about that going in. I have only seen it once. I saw it when it came out. You and I, I think this is the first movie we're doing that came out since you and I have been together. So we could have seen Avatar together. That I'm not, would have been the end of us. I'm not surprised that what happened was I said, I'm going to see Avatar want to come. And you probably said, <laughs> hell no. Hell no. <laughs> but so why are we doing it? I guess is then the next logical question. It's my question. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is always the part of the show in which I have to somehow justify. And I don't think you can justify Avatar. You. Okay. I, I think I can. Okay. okay. So, first of all, we talk about, or I talk every week, about box office results. As if it's some guarantor of quality, which we all know it is not. not, So let's be clear on that. But in terms of box office, Avatar is just sort of squatting on the top (laughs) of the hill. It made almost $800 million domestically, beating Titanic, also by James Cameron. Mm -hmm. That was only surpassed in 2015 by Star Wars The Force Awakens. Avatar, by its third weekend, had made a billion dollars worldwide. And then it just kept going. It ended up making nearly $3 billion worldwide, which is still a record 10 years later. So by that measure, it's one of the most successful movies of all time. And yet... And here's the part, this is what actually made me want to revisit it. I don't know a single person who loves Avatar. Right. Or even, I think, likes Avatar. (laughs) I haven't taken a poll or anything. James Cameron pretty rapidly signed a deal to make four sequels to this movie, which we are still waiting for ten years later. Except, I don't know who's waiting for them. Like, I don't... There's, I don't think there's any clamor for more Avatar right. coming from anyone. Last year, Walt Disney World opened a 12-acre theme park dedicated to Avatar. Again, I don't know who's asking for this. And this this is, to me, the curiosity about this movie. Um, and it's something several people have written about. This is Scott Mendelson writing in Forbes. He says, Avatar earned rave reviews, went on to become by far the highest grossing movie of all time, and won several Oscars. It then almost immediately vanished from the popular zeitgeist, (laughs) leaving almost no pop culture impact to speak of. It did not inspire a passionate following or a deluge of multimedia spin-offs that has kept the brand alive. Few today will even admit to liking it, and its overall effect on the culture at large is basically non-existent. Kids don't play Avatar on the playground, nor with action figures in their homes. There's little, if any, Avatar-themed merchandise. Most general moviegoers couldn't tell you the name of a single character from the film. 
I mean, that to me kind of makes it interesting. Like, how does a movie make that much money and achieve that much success? Mm-hmm. And then is basically forgotten. I really don't understand it. Right. I guess, I mean, the simple answer, and it may be the correct answer, there may be no need to make it more complicated (laughs) than it is, is it was a technically amazing movie. And it was a movie that I think even people who didn't like it said, you have to see this in a theater. Hmm. The 3D was incredible, and I'm not a person who likes 3D the colors it was it was it was a really just stunning stunning technical achievement whatever else mm-hmm. it was to me that still doesn't explain why it had the legs that it had like right i mean 3 billion dollars that's yeah and i mean i would imagine that involves people going back and seeing it multiple, multiple times multiple times exactly so i don't know i'm and i'm not sure i don't know that another viewing of it is going to answer that question but i kind of wanted to go back and watch it if nothing else to see, maybe it's better than I'm remembering it it's being. Not. You okay? You don't know that. It's not. <laughs> How do you know that? Because nobody talks about Avatar as like this amazing. They film. do though. The reviews were actually good. I mean, no one thinks, and I don't want to prejudice. I guess I can't prejudice you because you're already. I'm already prejudiced, prejudiced against it. Yeah. No one thinks James Cameron is a great writer, particularly a great writer of dialogue. So let's get that out of the way. But Roger Ebert gave it four stars. He called it an extraordinary film, sensational entertainment. He said it's an event, one of those films you feel you must see to keep up with the conversation. Uh, Manola Dargis in the New York Times called it glorious and goofy and blissfully deranged. And she said, few films return us to the lost world of our first cinematic experiences, to that magical moment when movies really were bigger than life. Movies rarely carry us away, few even try. What's often missing is awe... Something Mr. Cameron has, after an absence from Hollywood, returned to the screen with a vengeance. Okay. (laughs) Okay, isn't this thing, like, over three hours? Or three hours? No, it's a little under three hours. What's the problem? I don't, if, what I'm... We got awe awe and wonder you have to look forward to. So that, to me, speaks of what you were talking about, which is the sort of amazing visual experience, Um... or sort of technical achievement... That doesn't necessarily speak to, you know, this is a really interesting and engaging story. In 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 that case, do I need to live in a visual experience for nearly three hours to be awed? I don't. <laughs> it sounds like it should be one of those things that they play at, like, the planetarium. It's like a light show. <laughs> like kind a laser of, show. Right, like, it sounds like that's what it should be. Like, <laughs> and you go for 15 minutes and then it's like, oh, that was a cool experience. Uh-huh. And then you walk away. And and I don't, I'm like vaguely remembering plot details of it, but mm-hmm. isn't it basically the military is like putting this guy in this alien world so he can pillage? Uh, sort of, yeah. Okay, I don't need to see that either. <laughs> well, I'm not. It, it's it's a ginnet. We were ginnet before <laughs> three billion dollars. I mean, do we? I just I don't know. Okay. Okay, let me let me offer you one more. It's not going to change my mind about it. Just listen, will okay. you? This is critic Matt Singer writing at Screen Crush. He says, The story is basic and arguably derivative. Oh, Dances okay. with wolves in space. Alrighty. But it taps into something primal about the movie-going experience. The whole story revolves around avatars, human-piloted alien bodies, which serve as a metaphor for the voyeurism and escapism of cinema. Oh my god. Our hero enters a dark enclosed space and is transported to a new world. An extremely literal version. Sorry. That jerk off motion (laughs) 
you are making does not work on a podcast. I'm sorry to tell you. Sorry. <clears throat> Continuing <laughs> Mr. Singer's assessment. Our hero enters a dark and closed space and is transported to a new world, an extremely literal version of the way all of us go to the theater for that moment when the lights go down and we are taken away from our mundane lives oh and allowed to experience someone else's. No wonder so many people bought into that journey. I don't want to go on that journey. See, you were just coming into this with so much hate. You haven't even watched the movie yet. But the thing is, nobody even likes it anymore. I feel like it's like Crash, where when Crash first came out, everyone's like, oh my god, this is an amazing movie. Everybody okay. needs to see no, this film. I never said that. I didn't say that you said that. I said other people, that it was critically acclaimed, yeah. it won the Oscar, and now everybody's like, oh, Crash was a fucking embarrassment. <laughs> and I feel like it's the same with Avatar. As people, are, people are kind of like, Avatar is not a good film. So normally this is the point at which I ask you what you're expecting from this experience. To hate it. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to Avatar at all. I don't need to go on a journey. I also don't have that like, oh, the magic of film will take you away. I don't have that. What happened to you as a child? Nothing happened to me. I also think there are films that have probably done that better. There are ways to do that while still having a good story. I don't need blue people on dragons. (laughs) Are you just fundamentally not impressed with special effects? I don't think I'm not impressed that's not what you go to the movies for. That's not for. what I go to the movies for. It's and if, to sit and if, there and be Particularly impressed. if that's all the movie is really offering, uh-huh. I'm not interested. Because again, it's like, okay, I can just go watch the light show and spend 15 minutes. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time just being like, oh, that's cool. Okay. Well, I mean, we're, this is this is an awkward conversation because I can't, I don't feel like I'm in a position to defend this because I, I this saw it I once. I do not know why we're watching I it. had the impression that it was visually amazing. And that the story and dialogue were almost illiterate. However, I am trying to go into this with an open mind and consider that it might be a better movie than I'm remembering. It's not. It really isn't. So you want to just skip this? I would prefer. Okay. Do you want to just jump to the part where we talk about what you thought about the movie and just I think pretend so. that I we could watched probably just, yeah. the actual movie? Okay, yeah. let's hear it. Nikia, what did you think of Avatar? I hated it. Uh-huh. Uh, it looked cool. <laughs> um, what was your favorite part? The end. <laughs> okay, that's our show. <laughs> All right, we're going to go watch Avatar. I just ran out and bought the fucking Blu-ray Which... because I wanted to give you the be- I wanted to give the movie the best chance to impress you. Let's talk about Blu-rays we shouldn't own that you purchased. Yeah, I'm not happy about that. But for the purpose of this is dedication this project and probably a good point to remind people that if they want to donate to support this cause they are you know but nobody should donate that. so that you can buy avatar that's <laughs> no there no don't do that there you know donate to an actual you know rainforest or something like donate to <laughs> you know visually cool shit that exists on the earth don't donate so that you can buy avatar this is going to be fun this is going to be twilight all over again okay well let <laughs> Massive fail on your part. Took hours of my life that uh, I will never get. Back. All right, let's let's talk about that. So many years ago, <laughs> when we were doing the unenthusiastic critic for the blog, mm-hmm. I had the brilliant idea mm. that we would sit down and watch the Twilight movies. 
which neither of us had ever seen. And I was expecting us to hate them and make fun of them, but I thought it would be a fun conversation, and it did not turn out to be that. No, it was dead silence for eight hours. (laughs) Silence... And glares coming from me to you. Those films were just stupefyingly awful. There's just nothing to say. And joyless. There really isn't anything to say. Thank God they both went on to do much more interesting films. But that was just... Yeah, I didn't get a... We didn't get a good conversation out of it. I didn't end up writing the post because there was just nothing nothing to to work with. There was nothing to say. And... Where I will admit my mistake is that we didn't stop after the first No, you one. said let's keep going because... Because I assumed eventually we would hit something that was worth talking about and that would inspire some discussion. And we went through the first three movies, mm-hmm. I think, before we admitted that the experiment was just a wash. Well, you admitted. I admitted very early on... <laughs> That this was not a good idea, and we should not continue watching these films. So there is a chance that is what could happen this week as well. So you will have wasted my time twice. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think we should go into it anticipating that that's going to be the outcome. It is, though. And I don't want you to just decide now that that's going to be the outcome. <laughs> And just become fundamentally uncooperative with this process. I was not uncooperative with Twilight. Twilight was trash. (laughs) And I didn't have shit to say about trash. So. Hey, you want to watch a movie? No, I really don't. You're going to love it. I'm not, though. And you're not either. And that's, you need to, you need to be real with yourself. (laughs) I have an open mind. This is not about open mind. This is about honesty amongst, you know, partners. It's going to be your favorite movie ever. It's not. You're going to be so happy I bought the Blu-ray. I'm really not. We're watching the movie. You can keep stalling. We're watching the movie. I don't want to watch this movie. What's next? Is there another new Avatar? Well, we're going, to make, we're going to make two more Avatar films. I guess my most powerful motivation for that, other than, than, you know, obviously we've got a huge fan base now, is that the films had this interesting effect uh, around the world. They, they, they made a lot of money, but they made... They made money in a way that, that, that I actually found um, really uh, inspired hope in me because people were connecting with the message of, uh, you know, connectedness with each other, you know, I see you, connectedness with nature. And there was this, this huge outpouring of interest from uh, environmental groups, NGOs, uh, uh, you know, nonprofits that were involved in indigenous rights and, and so on. The incentive to make the, 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 the second and third Avatar film is that, that I think we can continue to do good. We can do well, and we can do good as we're, as we're doing well. And I certainly would encourage anybody, and I would challenge anybody, given the state of the world as it might be if we're not careful, to try to find ways to be entrepreneurs and, and be innovative and be inventive, funnel all that towards something that also is going to be good for the planet and for our children. Okay, during the break, Nikia and I watched Avatar. Or we sort of watched Avatar. What do you mean, sort of? 
Well, you would not let us watch the extended version with eight minutes of extra footage or the extra special super duper extended version with like 18 minutes of extra footage. You did not want to watch the 45 minutes of deleted scenes from Avatar, which could have stretched the entire thing to like over four hours. So I don't know if we got the full experience, but let's just let's just go with we got the experience that everyone experienced in the theaters when it originally was released. I mean, that if we're going to, you know, if you're going to do this project, you need to take it seriously within the integrity of the, you know. Oh, you're, you're making this about integrity now? Exactly. Not about your desire to get out well, as cheaply as you possibly birds, could. Well, two birds, one stone. <laughs> so, hey, uh, what would you, uh, you think of Avatar? I was bored as shit. <laughs> I was very bored. Possibly the most bored I've been since we started the podcast. Since we started the podcast or since we started The Unenthusiastic Critic? Probably since we started The Unenthusiastic Critic with the exception of Twilight. Well, yeah, but leaving that out. Yeah, I think that's probably right. (laughs) I mean, Gone with the Wind was longer, but you were more angry. Yeah. So that wasn't quite as boring. Yes, my anger was sustaining me for that one. So I will say a couple of things at the top. First of all, to the extent that the mission statement of the unenthusiastic <laughs> critic is to get you to watch movies that are somehow essential to your life. This is inessential. This probably does not meet that criteria. No, it does not. And, you know, I guess I knew that going in, but, you know, I sort of wanted to revisit it myself. Again, you can do that on your own Drag time. you along Please with me. Yeah, so. I don't want to be included in these things. I apologize for that. Yeah. The second thing I will say, however, is... By the very minimal standards of expectations, I actually enjoyed it a little more than I was expecting to this time. Really? Yeah. And that's, I was not expecting to enjoy it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was not quite as bad as I'd remembered it. Okay. It's not good. No. By any stretch of the imagination. But its problem to me is the story is just so pedestrian. Mm-hmm. And the actors are just so pedestrian. It's just there. The story part and the dialogue and all of that is just there. Yeah. As opposed to being, like, offensively bad. Right. It's not like, oh, that was awful. It's just like that. It like, we watched it an hour ago. I can't remember. I couldn't remember the story now. Yeah. Or a single line of dialogue. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, I guess that's why it was a little better than I was expecting. But that's not saying Because a lot. you were expecting offensively bad. Right. Not mundane. Right. I see. Okay. <laughs> How about you? So, I guess one of the features that you highlighted as a sort of a mark in favor of the film was the sort of visual delights. Uh-huh. Uh, and the sort of technical prowess. One of... No, that's it. On this... Well, uh, sure. Well, I mean, I was leaving room for maybe some other stuff if you had other feelings about it. But, um, yeah. So... I was less... I mean, it is obviously a technical achievement. Um, there is absolutely no denying that. I, however, did not fall in love with the world. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if that's the difference of seeing something in a theater at, you know, 12 feet however tall it is versus watching it um, at home I mean, you did, you did miss out on the 3D. Right. We Which did. I don't do 3D in general anyway. Right. Because I have glasses and it just doesn't... I just don't enjoy right. it. Um, and the 3D was a big part of the theatrical mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. So... So, for me, it looked almost as if I was watching someone play a video game. Uh-huh. So, that sort of almost like hyper-realism kind of, it, it, it sort of takes me out 
of it. Like I'm right. less inclined to then become immersed in a world. It, it, it like to me, it literally looked like a video game, um, and oftentimes the dialogue was as if I were watching a video game. Um, the only okay, I feel like you are unfairly disparaging video games at this point. But that's I'm not saying that it is in any way ugly or clunky looking or anything like that. It's obviously it's again it mm. is a technical achievement, but I could see it. Like I could see the work that created the world, right, right. Um, and it there was there was always just a scene or someone's face or something. I'd be like, oh, that it, almost like Uncanny Valley. Yeah, it a is. And it's it, just like, uh, and it. I takes mean, me there out is there is no denying that this was a huge landmark. Yeah, okay, in yes, CGI yes. technology, yes. this was the, you know the first like fully realized photorealistic mm-hmm. CGI world and characters and everything. You know, there'd been stuff before this, like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. movies, but that was one character and real backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And then you had stuff like the most famous example of Uncanny Valley creepiness, the Polar Express. Right. Which was motion capture CGI characters, but they were cartoonish. Right. It was a cartoon world. It was more of an animated film that used motion capture. You know, so this was a a milestone in the development mm-hmm. of that technology. That being said, it has already aged mm-hmm. recognizably. Mm-hmm. Like looking at this compared to something like uh, the last Planet of the Apes movie, which was nominated for an Oscar last night. It's actually the same company. It's Weta Digital, the special effects company, which did the Lord of the Rings movies and King Kong and uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Like, they have done a lot of these great special effects movies. But that last Planet of the Apes movie, you literally forgot you were watching CGI-generated characters. And this, you don't do that. Not at all. Um, I will say that in the sort of uh, Pandora... Uh In Pandora, the night scenes were probably the best visually to me because you had that sort of bioluminescence effect going on. Um, That's when it was kind of the most beautiful to me, almost like a painting. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I just didn't get sort of, there was no sort of, it didn't enrapture me in the way that I was expecting it to, given, you know, what you'd read of reviews and, and... and I guess, and going back to the question you asked um, when we first sat down was this idea of, you know, are there sort of spectacle films that I love? I don't think I'm the spectacle person. I like visuals, but I like almost more, like, art visual. Like, it's like as if I'm looking at a painting or something, or I, like, really sort of... I don't know how to explain it. So one of my <laughs> favorite movies visually that you hate is Tarsum's The Fall. <laughs> I don't hate it, but it um, depresses the shit out of me. It's actually a really cute uh, little, like, almost fairy tale. Well, it is a fairy tale sort of movie. Um, this is Tarsum Singh. Right. Uh, he did what he did The Cell the Cell, The Fall. Right. And again, The Cell, you know, the story is whatever. But there are some amazing visual shots in that film that you could just kind of freeze frame. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they can be paintings. And they're just really complex and interesting. And I can't even remember how many different countries he went to. But he, he filmed it in a bunch of different countries. And they're just beautiful sort of stark landscapes and colors and... So I'm less impressed. I, I think I remember reading that was all almost all practical effects too. That it wasn't computer right, generated. Right. It wasn't. It yeah. Was just... So I don't think I go in for the like super CGI heavy mm-hmm. movies when I think of visual um, splendor. Splendor, exactly. I that's what I, I think more of that kind of thing. Right. And I do get lost in those sorts of films. So I could also just be you know disinclined to fall into this type of world. Right. But again. Totally respect everything that went into it. It's amazing. 
I mean, there's no doubt that James Cameron is a pioneer in mm-hmm. the special effects field. Going back to the first Terminator, the melty, shape-changing metal Terterminator in the second one uh, yeah. was that that was a major breakthrough in special effects. The water effects in the abyss, and then Titanic. There mm-hmm. was so much CGI in Titanic. And he has, like I said, he's. there are supposed to be four more Avatar movies coming over the next few years. He's supposedly filming two of them simultaneously right now. What is the story? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but he has promised, I want to get this quote right, because it's. I, I want to make sure I capture his eloquence. He's going to blow our minds. He has said... I can tell you one thing about them. They're going to be bitching. You will shit yourself with your mouth wide open. That is unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, that's not a good thing. That doesn't make me want to experience whatever it is you're trying to sell me. First of all, he's got to be like 65 years old. I think there's a cutoff point for saying bitching. No, he's he's cool. He's down with the lingo. I I don't think so. Which I'm not surprised given, again, some of the the dialogue (laughs) in this film. All right, well, let's, let's get that out of the way. It's fucking terrible. It, it, it is like you're playing, <laughs> you know, like an army game or something, video game. And it's just like, Again, there are video games with really good writing, okay, I, so stop I, insulting I video not, games. Okay, I apologize. I should not be speaking about... I, it, yeah. No, it's terrible. It's, Every character says the most obvious line. You're not in Kansas the, anymore. Exactly. It's like, are we really st- still putting that in... Are we, really, are we really using that as a line still? <laughs> like, if you had a computer program that, like, generated a script from cliches Mm -hmm. from other movies it would come up with a script for Avatar yeah so the main character Sully is that his name I think so yeah that sounds right he's Sully (laughs) um he So he has, he narrates uh, various parts of the film and right he's supposed to be keeping a computer log of his experience but the way that he spoke was so just mannered and weird to me some of the things that he was saying just I was like who talks like that when you know the opening scene where he's looking at the body of his brother and he's talking about oh somebody shot my brother he's like, my brother got shot for the paper in his wallet and it's like nobody <laughs> says that like it's, like it's just it's like when they say you know oh black people vandalized my building and they wrote you know cracker on my building like nobody did black right. people don't say cracker they didn't spray paint cracker on your building so it's just like <laughs> It kind of took me out. I was like, why is he talking like that? It's just very odd. I mean, I think that it's kind of a perfect storm of problems, I think. One is Sam Worthington is British, playing an American. I thought he was Australian. Is he Australian? Yeah, I think I read he was Australian. Okay, whatever. He has an accent (laughs) that he's not using here. So he's doing that very generic Midwestern American accent that people who are not American do when Mm -hmm. they're doing an American accent. Um I have not seen enough Sam Worthington movies. I don't know that I've ever seen him. I think the only other one I've seen was Everest, and that was not the kind of movie where you notice someone's acting. I don't think he's a particularly dynamic actor. And then you have James Cameron's dialogue, which nobody sounds... Sigourney Weaver doesn't sound good reading it. Oh, no, he's British. I'm sorry. I mean... Kate Winslet, who's a tremendous actress, didn't sound good reading it. Nobody sounds good reading James Cameron's dialogue. Oh, God, he was in The Shack. Oh, God. <laughs> you didn't see The Shack. Because all you needed to see was the previews of The Shack, and you go, why was Is that was the one with, week? like, Octavia, Octavia Spencer, Spencer is God, is God or is something? Jesus or something, okay, and he, like, yeah. he goes Mm-mm, to The Shack no, in the woods. That's a, oh, that's a hard no. Oh, dear. 
Oh, he was in the remake of Clash of the Titans. Can we talk about how unnecessary that was? You have a strange fondness for the original Clash because of the Titans. Because of the Titans. little owl! I know. Because of the worst element of the original movie. <laughs> what is that it, Bebo? stupid fucking robot owl <laughs> that makes no sense. I love Is that your favorite owl. part of the movie. And the Medusa is just so terrible, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love the Medusa. It's so perfect. And then he chops her head off and it's basically like grape jelly coming out. It's a horrible, horrible effect. I, I love that movie I as love a kid. It. I love it. Sorry. I love that movie so much I read the novelization of that movie. <laughs> when I was like 12 years old. <laughs> okay, so now he's on my list because he remade a film that I love because of a fucking robot owl. So He's on your shit list for doing yes. that? Well, he didn't, I'm sure. He agreed to be in it. What you do is somebody offers you that, you say, why would I remake <laughs> the perfect film? And they said, because we're going to make it without the owl. The owl is the key. <laughs> It's like doing Guardians of the Galaxy without Groot. It's not at it all is, It's like exactly that. like that. It's exactly it's, like that. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to Avatar. I'm more interested in talking about anything else other than Avatar. Uh, okay. Would you like to discuss any of the other performers in the film? I mean, no one... Uh, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of dimension to any of the characters. No. Everyone was pretty much a designated stereotype to represent whatever argument... So I, I just, I wasn't particularly invested in anyone. I think the, the thinking was that we were supposed to be that, you know, um, Sully was supposed to, you know, be the sort of avatar for the audience. Or, and I just, I definitely wasn't at all invested in him. Do you think that's why he was such a blank slate that he was just Right, not... I think, yeah. I think mm-hmm. the audience was supposed to sort of experience this new world through him. And it's, and I have no interest in sort of, white savior stories well i knew i knew we would get to that so let's talk about that you have no interest in them (laughs) (laughs) so i debated and i probably made the wrong choice whether we were going to watch avatar or dances with wolves dances with wolves Mm -hmm. which is the same story Mm -hmm. like almost beat for beat I think Dances with Wolves is a slightly better movie. It's definitely a better movie, <laughs> though having many of the same problems. Right. Uh, but it's also an hour longer than this one, so I thought I'd spare you that. We'll get to it eventually. No, we won't. Because <laughs> I feel like, okay, now we've done this genre, <laughs> so let's maybe... Well, no, that's a Dances with Wolves is a Western, so it's not the but same it's genre. This, no, but it, you know, it is the same <laughs> genre in that it's the same fucking story. It is the same story. I do not need to see another white man, you know, come to Jesus moment where he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, rape and pillage this community. And maybe I have something to learn and to teach them. And I can save them from my own people. So here's an interesting thing about that that I noticed when I was looking at the IMDb page for this. The... What are the the Navi? The yes. Navi? Where are we putting the emphasis? It's N A apostrophe V I. Yes, I know. So Navi, I think, is how you would say it. I think they say Navi in the movie. I don't. It doesn't matter. The blue people, the Smurfs. <laughs> don't do that. That's you know, racist. Go ahead. Calling them Smurfs is racist. Yeah. What about calling them savages or tree monkeys? Oh, as, they no, they get called Giovanni a bunch Rubisi of horribly racist things. And this again, that is the language of the colonizer. So I yeah. was not surprised to hear it. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, <laughs> the Navi, at least the, and I think there's only like four characters who have names or lines, mm-hmm. are all played by people of color. Yes. Uh, Zoe Saldana is 
side bloob girl. I don't remember her name. Okay. Nar- See, this, is, this is yeah. <laughs> you're making it worse because you're you're dehumanizing them and it's not okay. <laughs> okay, let's look it up. Uh, CCH Pounder plays her mom. Oh, I love I love CCH Pounder. Yeah, me too. She was pretty much wasted in this movie. Mawat is the mother. Yeah. Okay. Zoe Saldana's character is Natiri. Yeah. Laz Alonzo plays Suitse. Right. He's an African-American actor, I yes, think. Yes, he is. And... And then her father is... Etuken? Yes. Played by Wes Studi. Yes, Wes Studi, who's a Native American actor. He was actually on the Oscars last he night. Was. He was the yes. presenter. He introduced the military service homage. And they made a big deal about the fact that he was the first Native American actor to present at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then most of the, nearly all of the human characters are white. Yes. Except for Michelle Rodriguez and maybe one other guy. The one doctor gentleman who looks, yeah. South Asian. South Asian, I believe, yes. So, yes. Right. So, you know, it's just a tired-ass narrative, right? And the way that I think people justify it, and I haven't, I don't know if, I feel like I vaguely remember Avatar coming under a, a little bit of criticism for casting actors of colors in the roles of the Navi and then having mostly white actors playing these sort of quote-unquote civilized invaders. I think it's who's really civilized. Um, <laughs> but I feel like sometimes directors or writers think that they are advancing some sort of argument or saying something novel, or this is about, you know, bridging communities. This is about bringing everyone together. This is about recognizing each other's humanity, and that's what this story mm-hmm. is. And it's just like, okay, one, again, it's been done a lot. Right. Two, it was not done particularly artfully here. Right. Three, it's still relying on the white perspective to tell the story. And I don't even know that you needed Sully. Like, why couldn't it have just been they invade Pandora and then we get the story from Natiri's right. perspective? Right. But again, it's like, it's, I think there really is this belief that you sort of need this white character for the audience to kind of identify with. Well, hopefully that's changing. I mean, yeah, it, it is it almost is, like if Martin Freeman had been the main character of right. Black Panther. And it's just like, it's not true. It doesn't have yeah. to be your story. And it's probably less interesting when it's your story. Right. And it also sort of reinforces this narrative that you must, like... A community shouldn't have to adopt you and do the work of basically raising you in order for you to recognize their humanity and using humanity knowing that they are aliens, but um, (laughs) like that you have worth and value and a right to a safe space that you have lived. Right. You shouldn't have to literally become one of them. In order to understand that it is wrong to invade and pillage a community. Well, they they had to get that... uh... Unup... Fucking Tania. <laughs> oh, God. How long exactly do you think James Cameron labored? I think he was taking a shit on up. a toilet and he came up with it and he was like, oh my fucking God, this is the best idea ever. <laughs> and he, like, you know, writes it in the cell phone notes app, unobtainium. It's just like this, like, you know that it was like, oh, that's a profound moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's really terrible. 
No, I agree. And it is the problem that all of these movies have. And for one thing, it's like the indigenous people are wholly good. Right. They don't really have any other storylines happening. Mm. They've just been sitting there happily in the woods until all of this started living completely peacefully. There, there's nothing else happening. Mm-hmm. It's almost like infantilizing mm-hmm. this indigenous culture. It's so simplistic and it's so one note. Right. But yeah, I think... James Cameron probably thought he was saying some very deep things about militarism and in colonialism and environmentalism. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> was there an environmental message, do you think? We're literally plugged into that. Um, we had a little War of Iraq yeah. analogy mm-hmm. thrown ham-fistedly into this. Yeah. Shock and awe campaign, that whole thing. Yeah. It was very sort of heavy-handed to me. I mean, even just down to the sort of the look of some of the characters, like the main army general with like his three <laughs> yeah. stars. And it's, it's just like really... Yeah. And I also didn't like how the whole Navi community had to band together to then save the lives of these white people. Like uh, when Sigourney Weaver mm-hmm. was shot, so we're going to take her to this sacred space and everybody's going to... Plug pray into for and pray recovery. for her, and then we're gonna do the same for Sully. And again, it's about them, you know, being totally selfless, and they're gonna give everything that they can give to these people who've essentially invaded their homes right. and led to its destruction because they're good, pure people. And forgive and, them, and, and forgive the them. And, and, and I just, I'm just not interested in it. I don't think it's an interesting story. I don't think you're saying anything. So I don't think there's any like lesson there that any, oh, we should, you know. Here's the deal. America's here. Uh-huh. We murdered the indigenous community. Yes. I seem to remember hearing something about that. That's how that story ends. Well... Cave paradise <laughs> put up a parking lot. Okay? So I feel like there's this weird... Re- like, there's, there's, this is the, like, the sort of liberal reimagination of, of like, the white role. It's like, oh, no, no. We okay. go in and we're the savior. And we fix everything. And it's fine. It's like, no, no. Uh, we murdered them. Okay, I mean, I knew that. Right. But until I saw Avatar, I didn't realize that was wrong. You didn't realize that murdering indigenous communities was wrong? <laughs> no, I needed James Cameron to teach me. Mm-hmm. That Trail that it was of Tears wrong. was a fucking horrifying <laughs> moment in our history. <laughs> <laughs> that we are still <clears throat> destroying native communities bit by bit. And here's the thing, and I don't know what he has planned for the sequels, but the way this movie ends. Mm hmm. Does not seem to me to solve the problem. You think they're going to come back? Well, of course they're going to fucking come back. <laughs> Is Has any but history see, okay, of... But, uh, right. But see, exactly. Right, you're basing ahead, that on actual ahead. history of the world. Uh-huh. This is happy plays in white man's mind where he is the savior. So we're just going to keep continuing to beat back against... Militarism. There is there is a better scene at the end of Dances with Wolves. Oh my god. Where Kevin Costner tells the chief of the tribe, you know, they, they've gotten away from whatever the white pursuers were and whatever the current white conflict with the white people was. But Kevin Costner basically has to sit the chief down and tell him, like, this is not over. Like, mm-hmm. more of them are coming than you will ever be able to deal with. And that's just the way it is. And we're fucked. Okay, so I sort of respect that a little bit. No, that's what I'm saying. You were making fun. I'm saying it was a better, more honest scene at the end of that movie than at the end of this movie, where it's like, oh, we kicked this squadron of dudes off our planet, and now everything's great. No, probably not. No, they're coming back for the You're still sitting on a shit ton of unobtainium. Yeah. 
which they're going to obtain. It's going to become obtaining. Well, no, it's because we obtain everything. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's my thing on James Cameron. I'm not sure he's very bright. I mean, if I... This is my thing with a lot of these filmmakers. It's, it's this thing where they think technical skill translates to profundity mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. That just because they can put pretty images on the screen, they are saying something poetic. Right. And they're not. I mean, he was like that with Tight Jesus. Fucking (laughs) his acceptance speech. And whenever he would talk about Titanic, he thought he made Schindler's List. Like he thought this was the most profound moving film of all time. And it it just wasn't. And that's not what anyone took away from it. He did the thing at the Oscars of like, now let's have two minutes of silence for the victims of the Titanic. Really? And it's like, suck a dick. I mean, first of all, yeah, it's sad the ship went down and 1,200 people died. That's awful. But give me a fucking break. You did not make that movie. But he thinks it's really important, which leads me to the conclusion that he's just not very bright. Good filmmaker, stick to action movies. <laughs> stick to the Terminators. Well, I wouldn't want to say Aliens, that. Aliens, excellent movie. I wouldn't want to say that because I think every sort of creative person has the right to sort of explore various things that, you know, they may want to explore. I am also a fan of staying in your lane, however. <laughs> and... A good being a good director doesn't always mean that you're a great writer or a deep thinker. Or t- I don't want to. <laughs> Why have conversations Join about someone's intelligence? In because I don't know that he's uh. unintelligent. I mean, the whole the, the Titanic thing is ridiculous. Like, um, <laughs> no, that was not. You know, it was a a movie that a lot of people loved, but it was I don't know. Well, that it a was... lot of people loved this movie too. We'll come back to that in a second. Okay. But on the whole thing about Cameron, uh, this is a quote from Stephanie Zakarik in Salon. She says, Avatar would be great fun if only Cameron, the picture's writer, director, producer, and editor, had a sense of humor about himself, which he clearly doesn't. Hmm. And that is completely true. I'm not sure there's a joke in there this isn't. entire movie. This film movie. takes itself very seriously. I mean, a couple of characters say those sort of cliched, wise guy lines, yeah. but they're not jokes. Yeah. There's there's no humor in this movie whatsoever. I believe someone called him Meals on Wheels. Right, exactly. That's the kind of joke right. that's in there. Right. So so <laughs> Stephanie Zahara goes on to say, instead Cameron has to make it clear he's addressing grand themes, and while Cameron's political stand is solidly liberal, this isn't a picture fleshed out with deep, multifaceted ideas. Cameron is less a sage than a canny bonehead. That's harsh. It is, but it supports my argument. That he's just one of those people who thinks he's profound, and he's not. I don't want... Yeah, I don't want to make statements on anyone's intelligence. Since what are you... I don't know. The nice one. First of all, (laughs) I have always been the nice one. No, no. Yes. You can ask anyone that knows us both. I'm the nice one. Not in life, and certainly not in the purpose of this experiment that we're conducting here. I never insult anyone's intelligence. (laughs) I say, your product is shit, but I don't insult your intelligence. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. (laughs) You can be brilliant and make a shitty product. (laughs) I think it just fundamentally bothers me because... If he had just made this as a fun action movie, mm-hmm. that might have been great. Someone else would have had to write it. It's not going to be fun with that same dialogue and that same sort of tone. It would be... I mean, I don't know... I don't know if he wrote Aliens. He definitely wrote, like, The Abyss, which was dumb but fun, although it it ran into the same problem at the end where he tried to say something meaningful, and the, the ending of that movie is a disaster. 
But the rest of it was fun. Terminator 2 was fun. He wrote that. Like, just spare me the phony spiritualism and mm-hmm. metaphysics and Awa is the <laughs> spirit of all things that connects all... Th- I mean, it's George Lucas and the Force. It's like the energy that connects all things. <laughs> like, just spare me all of that. Give me the giant robot fighting a giant tiger lizard. That's what I want from James Cameron. Embrace the stupidity of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Give me the riding dragons through the cliffs part. That's all great. I enjoy those parts. And they were very pretty. I I wouldn't say they were very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, on that, I have another quote here you'll like. And this is just something I saw on the Rotten Tomatoes page. This, This is Sean Burns in the Philadelphia Weekly. The movie looks like the kind of gaudy 70s airbrush painting you'd see on a van owned by your stoner friend who goes to way too many Rush concerts. I agree. <laughs> I knew you would. When I saw that, I agree before we even watched the movie, yes. I knew you were going to agree with that. Yeah, it does look exactly like that. <laughs> it would be on Krieger's van in Archer. <laughs> it, it's like perfect black light sort of thing. It's just perfect. Yes. Did, did you have a favorite part of the movie? Was there a part of it you actually enjoyed? No. Um... That was fun? I really need to some cricket noises to <laughs> slot in here. There weren't any fun parts. I again, I said I enjoyed the bioluminescence. <laughs> um, All right, well, that was a real conversational dead end. Um, let's t- you know, let's talk about Navi sex. I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Did they have sex? Is that what that was? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Yeah, they said they did. They said they were like we she just kind of sat on him. We mate bonded or whatever they did. I guess that's okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Sure. I don't even recall them having genitals. Did they? Were they wearing anything? I guess they had, they little had like tiny cloths. little loincloth okay. things. Sure. And on top, she was wearing like some kind of necklace combination of necklace and hair that made you never quite sure if you were seeing nipples or not. It was just. Okay. I thought maybe they were just sort of dry humping in a wood, a wooded glen amongst the dead souls of their ancestors. Sexy. (laughs) The whole... Okay. So let's talk about this. The whole, like, okay, the trees possess the memories of our ancestors Mm -hmm. and we can access them and all we plug into that. Mm -hmm. This planet is like a computer network right and like the trees are like the hard drive and Mm -hmm. the soul tree is like the main hard drive like that's how this whole thing works and i realized watching it this time i kept forgetting that that wasn't what was happening i kept forgetting that jake wasn't like plugging into a virtual world and going into like a computer avatar Mm -hmm. versus it being an actual physical thing. Yeah, it's thing. real. You're right, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the CGI-created environment contributes to that. Mm-hmm. But he even said at one point when he was, like, going into his sleep pod, he was like, I'm starting to feel like that's the real world and this is the dream. And it's like, well... It is a real world. <laughs> right, right, they're yeah. both real worlds. <laughs> right. But that is kind of how the movie Your treats legs this. Just don't work is in that it's, like, right, this yeah. virtual environment. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. And I guess... And this is probably why I don't make films, among a number of reasons, but that in order to understand that we have to have 
a much more sort of respectful and symbiotic relationship with our environment. You have to literally be able to plug into it and hear mm-hmm. it and talk to it. And it has, so I, just, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> I'm getting that. Do you know what I think you're experiencing, though? And I think you may not even be aware of it yet. Oh, God. You are experiencing avatar-induced depression syndrome. I'm depressed because I watched it, yes. Yes, but not in the way you think. Oh, you're going to tell me what I think now, white man. <laughs> this was something there were a absurd number of news stories about when this movie came out. Is about how people were seeing the movie mm-hmm. and then getting depressed that they lived in the real world. We're all going to die. At the beginning of the episode... There is no hope for humanity. At the beginning of the episode, we heard a clip from a CNN news story talking about this phenomenon. Because apparently there were these Avatar fan forums, and thousands of people were leaving comments about how to deal with Avatar-induced depression. Uh, Oh, God. Because, yeah, the the real world was just too dull and non-vibrant, and they couldn't deal with it. When did this come out? Uh, 2009. End of 2009. So the winter? It's winter. (laughs) (laughs) It gets gray as shit in the winter. What you're probably feeling is sad. Get yourself a heat lamp and get the fuck over it. Here's here's another one of the quotes from those one of those websites. Ever since I went to see Avatar, I have been depressed. Watching the wonderful world of Pandora and all the Navi made me want to be one of them. Oh my god! I can't stop thinking about all the things that happened in the film and all of the tears and shivers I got from it. I even contemplate suicide. Oh my god! Thinking that if I do it, I will be rebirthed in a world similar to Pandora, where everything is the same as in Avatar. Oh my god! Right? He or she needs to see a therapist. <laughs> I think they have pills that will make you see very pretty colors. There are actual beautiful places in the world within which you live. Not that beautiful. Not bioluminescent places with mountains that float in the sky, which, how the fuck does that work? I don't even know. But uh, what I'm saying is, is there is real beauty, not CGI beauty, in the world that you can go and see. Well, it's not in 3D. Well, it is because it's <laughs> in the world. It's real. Yeah, but not like that, you know, really cool immersive 3D like this Well, was. no, it's very immersive because you're in it. You're walking amongst it for real. So I would just, I would have encouraged people to maybe take a trip to... Go see the Grand Canyon. Go see the Grand Canyon. Something. Go to, I mean, Thailand. Go see some shit because the world is a, quite a beautiful place. <laughs> you don't need to... So... Uh, I am making fun, cruelly, but I am also bringing it back to this point that there were people who just, like, apparently really fell in love with this movie and this world and wanted to live in it. That makes me sad. It makes you sad that people were coming out of this depressed? Yeah. Again, it was technically very well done, but it wasn't anything that I... I didn't fall in love with it, and I didn't feel as if it was a world that I wanted to sort of step into. I mean, I think... And I think this does get to... These these movies about the white character going into mm-hmm. these indigenous worlds, indigenous cultures. I think there's a romanticizing oh, of that. Yeah. And this, like, life is simpler and mm-hmm. purer and more spiritual that I guess is attractive. Right, but, it's, and, but again, it's like it's also the same stuff that we beat out of them and beat out of ourselves. So it's like you could... <laughs> have that right yeah. so do you think these movies are an exercise of white guilt i do i think it really is a little bit of like this this sort of opportunity to rewrite the narrative a little bit and i don't know that it helps anything i don't I, like i feel like we haven't had the actual conversation so to then 
have these sort of mm-hmm. imaginary moments. I'm like, well, I right. don't know what purpose this serves. If it's making people wish that they lived in Pandora, like that's your takeaway versus maybe I should learn something about the founding of this country. Or maybe I should <laughs> learn something about actual native communities that are living on reservations today. Like, right. Maybe I should, you know, go get involved in Standing Rock. So it's like, so you'd rather go to this imaginary place. Right. So, like, whatever sort of lessons were supposed to be pulled from this film obviously didn't happen. It just was, you're just sort of enabling this kind of... The fantasy. The fantasy of, again, the white savior. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm sure we're boring the crap out of people now, but that's okay. (laughs) Like, I hadn't really thought of the white hero stories in that way as this kind of rewriting of the narrative. Mm -hmm. And and it, it sort of ties into what you always say about, you know, these movies with, like, sort of cartoonishly racist, awful people that then allow white audiences to feel superior to them. And that's because every white person thinks that if we grew up in the South during the Civil War, we would have been the white person... Helping to free slaves. Right, working for the Underground (laughs) Railroad. Mm -hmm. Like, we all think that. Mm -hmm. Every one of us Mm -hmm. would have been that hero who would have helped write the injustice. Right. And that is kind of what, Mm -hmm. like, Avatar and films like that. Right. That's the fantasy that that fulfills for white audiences. Right. Okay, well, now you've bummed me out. Good. That's my job. <laughs> Rain on the motherfucking parade. Can't we just talk about the robot fight? Which one? The one at <laughs> any, the end? Any of them, man. Cameron loves a good robot fight. Oh, yeah. He did do that in Aliens, yeah. too, didn't he? Yeah. Get away from her, you bitch. Yeah. Newt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so sure. It was a cool robot fight. I liked the little, I don't, I don't know what they were, but the very large rhinoceros. Some kind of alien rhino, <laughs> sure. Charging in to save the day. That was a nice moment. Well, yes, that was when the planet decided to fight Right, back. exactly, because we, we plugged into the because planet. Because the white savior and we asked it to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, <laughs> not how that works. What happens is the planet dies. <laughs> See, cursing that, us. This is a problem with fantasy. Dear ice caps, please. <laughs> fantasy ecological messages. There was there was an episode of Doctor Who a few seasons ago mm-hmm. that had like the trees like just saving the planet at like the trees just I decided I to save the yeah. planet. And it's like that's not a good no, ecological message. No. You know what they're doing? Providing oxygen. They're doing a fucking enough. <laughs> yeah. How about you step up to the plate and take... And again, it's this thing of, like, we are sort of waiting for someone to save us. The Earth is not going to save you. The Earth is going to burn. And we are going to die. That is it. Do you see how quickly we just got back to a real bummer place? (laughs) Like, you are so good at this. It's no wonder you don't enjoy movies. I can always find the cloud, man. My wardrobe is a lot of black. Because you gotta... We gotta keep it real. Okay? (laughs) How many millions of dollars did he spend to make this little fantasy? Uh, this was about three hundred million. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and God only knows what he's spending on the next four movies. I really don't know what else he had to say <laughs> for four more films. I really don't. And Sam Worthington is in all of them, so oh, it's, we're, it's all still going to be about oh, Jake God. Sully. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it's really unfortunate. I can't do four more of these. <laughs> I'm not. I, I wouldn't ask you to. I learned my lesson from the Twilight. So I'm guessing that you would not be recommending Avatar to anyone. No, I would not. Possibly with the sound off as a screensaver, if you find it 
visually interesting. What if you were really stoned? I don't think so, though. Oh, come on. No. I have a theory that that's like how half of the tickets were sold, where people going back saying they saw it the first time and then they were like, let's smoke a bunch of weed and go back and see, see Avatar again. I feel like that's like the whole, like, let's smoke some pot and listen to this record backwards. It's just like, <laughs> or don't. like. Do people do that? I mean, didn't isn't that what your generation did? All I'm saying is that when I'm stoned, I don't have the wherewithal to, like, play a record backwards. That's really kind of hard to do. Okay. I just, just sit there and listen to the record and stare at the ceiling. And if you have a black light, so much the better. Yeah, I don't recommend this at all. <laughs> just get stoned and enjoy your stonage. Don't ruin it with, you know, inarticulate messages about environmentalism and colonization and whatnot. Like, don't, don't fuck up your high with that shit. Like, just enjoy your high. Good advice. Don't watch Avatar. (laughs) That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we address one of the unforgivable gaps in Nakia's cinematic experience. The fact that she knows no James Bond other than Daniel Craig. To be fair, he's the best looking, so I don't know that I need to see any others. I weep for your entire generation. What are you talking about? Who's better looking than, you know, boxer face Craig? So we are going back to the first, (laughs) the best, the definitive 007, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sean Connery with 1964's Goldfinger. I'm not interested in that. He was mean to Marnie. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a movie that you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. So looking at IMDb user reviews, which are sort of always a good source. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aliens Bishop writes that <laughs> <laughs> uh, Avatar is sort of fern gully in space, <laughs> dances with wolves, only worse, and smurfs without believable characters like Gargamel and his cat. <laughs> Gargamel was an excellent character. He had layers <laughs> and eyebrows. Uh, so... That's that's your generation, man. I don't know from Smurfs. Oh, dude, the Smurfs were... That was my shit. <laughs> Someone else wrote, How could anyone who's seen more than four movies in their life find this creative? <laughs> they are a frothy-mouthed bunch at the IMDb comment section. Okay, I get it. That's a phrase I found myself saying an awful lot during this two-and-a-half-hour computer game. Thank you. That was as painful to the brain as it was to the eyes. Someone else found it to be the best movie experience of the last 30 years. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that person is not, in fact, 30 years old. <laughs> Lots of emotions are waiting for the viewer. Laughter and tears also. What the fuck was I watching? Well, I mean, I know you got a little weepy. Because it was long as shit.